Yeah. So I just want to tell you, I, you gave a really good introductory video. For me, I'm a New York City street kid. So I grew up in the streets of New York. I went to high school of music and art in Harlem. And then at age 17, I joined the U.S. Army as a paratrooper. So that was my early um, indoctrination into this world. So I didn't go to college. I joined the Army. And in the Army, I learned a lot of discipline. And I didn't have quality food. And when there was food, I ate it. And that was my experience. And when I got out of the Army, um, I became a victim, like so many other people, to the pleasure trap. I started to eat refined food, processed food, meat, dairy, animal products, and things that had been engineered to make me eat more, whether they were healthy or not. And I had no idea about how bad that was for me, how destructive it was for me and my family. And a few years later, when I was 33 years old in 1999, my aunt got diabetes and they chopped off both of her feet below her ankles. And it was devastating for me even to conceptualize someone so close to me suffering from this disease that I didn't even know what it was. And I thought she was healthy because she looked like everybody else. In hindsight, I could see the early signs of the obesity. And then she ended up dying soon thereafter from complications of the diabetes and heart disease. And then my uncle died of heart disease and my mother developed stomach cancer and then died. And then my father died in the same hospital as my mother shortly thereafter with heart disease. And my brother became overweight, obese, diabetic, and then had the first of three strokes and a heart attack. So in 1999, while I was at the, at the time, the peak of my career, um, I was facing this existential crisis where all of my immediate family members were dead or dying. And that's when I made the decision to go raw vegan. And it was a very unpopular um, decision back in 1999 there were very few options. And I watched a industry being created in New York City um, about organic whole food start to open up, but there was still nothing raw, organic, vegan, grab and go. And that's when my partner and I founded Organic Avenue and we started to produce items that met a very tight criteria of fresh, ripe, raw, organic fruits, vegetables, seeds, nuts, seaweeds, and sprouts. So that's what we were able to work with. And with those items, we made fresh soups, salads, entrees, smoothies, cold pressed juices, snacks. And that was our life. And we built that business from one store to 12 stores over a 10 year period. And that gave me a lot of experience with food safety, food manufacturing, buying produce, food waste, packaging. And that was a great experience for me. And then I went on to do Juicero for five years. And then after Juicero had an early composting, so the business went away, investors changed their mind. That's when I moved to the Mojave Desert. And if you've ever been in the desert, um, it's very dry and it's sand, not soil. 
And it's very hard to grow things in the desert that haven't been acclimated and are drought tolerant um, and somewhat indigenous to the area and the land. And so while I'm here and I moved and co-created Wonder Valley Hot Springs, I'm living in a tent and I had a big cooler, a 60 liter cooler that I had filled up with organic raw items from Whole Foods and Air One in Los Angeles. And over a several day period, all of these items were being consumed. And then, you know, like I normally would do, I would go onto my phone and say, where can I go? Where can I eat? Um, and for the first time, nothing showed up. There were no options for um, local organic produce. And so that night, I was thinking maybe I made a bad decision. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. So um, I look up and our skies here at Wonder Valley Hot Springs are very dark. This is considered one of the few dark sky places in the United States. And with that dark sky, I'm seeing the Milky Way, I'm seeing planets, I'm seeing galaxies. And all of a sudden, the star started to twinkle and the constellations started to have meaning for me. And I got this idea of sprouting and each constellation was another sprout. And I, I quickly went home um, back inside my little tent and I started to write some notes and I started to dream and fantasize about how I would live and eat and grow sprouts. And I'd been growing sprouts for 25 years, but they were always a garnish. They were always a side dish. They were always like something that I knew was a superfood. When I saw them at a farmer's market, I would buy them. When I was home, I would grow them, but I never took them seriously. But now I was hungry. And being in a food desert means that there was no access to fresh organic produce. There was 7-Eleven, there was Taco Bell, there was Burger King and McDonald's, but there was no organic produce. So the three things that I got, and I'm going to share a slide just to show you. Let's see. So the three things that I got from Sprouts was that you could grow your own food. And that's why I was growing it. And then you could grow your own supplements, right? These people are taking all sorts of multivitamins. They're taking protein powders. But the idea that you could take seeds and sprout them and grow your own supplements was really powerful. And then the third part, which was just an idea that sprouts could be medicine and that you could grow your own medicine. This was a very powerful thing for me. And it brought me back to wanting to know a lot more. So because we have access to the internet, to libraries, to information, um, people to call, I started to research sprouts and sprouting and the nutritional benefits of sprouts, how to grow sprouts. And I went from eating 
alfalfa sprouts and mung bean sprouts, which were my two familiar sprouts, to alfalfa, azuki, radish, clover, broccoli, chia, fenugreek, several different types of lentils, several types of, of peas. And all of these things were um, delicious and nutritious. And I had no idea. I'm going to show you this. Take a look at uh, this. Um, you could look at every one of these varieties had a different color, a different texture, a different flavor, a different level of spice, a different nutrition profile. And so there was so much, and there wasn't a lot of information on how to grow these and what they meant in the nutritional part. And I got really motivated to go even deeper. So I came up with this idea that I was going to write the Sprout Book. And the Sprout Book became an obsession for me. And since I'm not a medical doctor, nutritionist, dietitian, I ended up calling up Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Joel Furman, Dr. Joel Kahn, um, Dr. Oz, Dr. Axe, and um, so many of these medical doctors. And by the way, Dr. Mark Hyman, some of these doctors were functional medicine. Some were ketogenic. Some were vegan and some were vegetarian. So they were all over the map dietary. But the thing that they had most in common is that they all loved sprouts. And I wanted to know why. And I asked them, could I interview them for my book? Could I learn why they love sprouts so much? And they all surprisingly agreed um, and ra ra raised their hand and agreed to participate in interviews, in editing, in participation. And the Sprout book for me was, what are sprouts? How do you grow sprouts? What do you do with the sprouts? And I went to Oprah's recipe developer who did her book. And I said, I want to do recipes with sprouts to make it easy and accessible for people to grow their own sprouts. And I said, I want 40 recipes. And she's like, oh, that's easy. We could do that. And then I said, well, I just got to make it a little bit more difficult since you said it's easy. I want everything to be 100% plant-based. And she's like, okay, we could do that. I want everything to be raw and they need to be 50% sprouts. And that was another hurdle. And we did that. So the book goes into details. And then I created a sprout lab so I could understand the behavioral instances of each type of seed, how to grow them, how long to soak them, how to rinse them. And I went through using jars, using bags, using trays, using soil, using different sprouting mediums. And all of these things were playing a role in the contribution and education for me about sprouts. So I'm going to go back to my presentation for a second. Let's see here. So there's a real big issue here, right? In America, um, most people, and I say most, majority, two out of three, are chronically ill or overweight. And it's well known that um, fruits and vegetables are healthy. But for un some unforsaken reason, 
in the United States, Americans aren't aware that sprouts are vegetables. These are vegetables. And so sprouts are one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. You can grow them from seed to edible vegetable in days, not weeks, months, or years, in days, as little as two to three days, as much as seven days. They grow without soil, sunshine, fertilizer, insecticides, pesticides, fungicides. They grow with air and water. They sequester carbon from the atmosphere and they grow. And sprouts are not new. I didn't discover sprouts. Sprouts have been around since the beginning of time. And America is the melting pot of capitalism. In more mature and developed countries from an agricultural basis, like Asia, in Japan, in China, and in Korea, and in India, people have been growing and eating sprouts as part of the staple of their diet, tracing back thousands of years. In America, you barely hear about sprouts. So um, specifically, if I drill down in Japan, there's one company, one single company that's selling over 300,000 servings of sprouts, broccoli sprouts every day. So if we think about what that means in the book, like the book is making it easy. It's a primer to sell it. And if we go into a little bit, the book, which was a sleeper book in a very niche category, has now sold 40,000 copies of the book. It's in the 10th printing. It's in the top 1% of all books on Amazon. It actually hit number one bestseller in vegan category, vegetarian category, low budget cooking, fiber, all these different categories. And that spawned, in order to promote the book, I ended up having to go onto social media onto TikTok and onto Instagram, and I've amassed hundreds of thousands of followers. And now um, the latest estimate is there's been more than 50 million total touches between downloads of podcasts, views, listens, social media impressions, more than 50 million. And it's all about sprouting. And this is something that I never thought would be, but now I'm asking myself, what more do we have to do? And my message to you is to think about how sprouts can become, how you can take and grow a pound of organic vegetables in days for as little as 50 cents a serving and you buy the seeds. So if there's any question, people have questions about food safety. So I dedicated two years on working on two peer-reviewed published papers, one on sprout microbial safety, a reappraisal of after a quarter century. And we looked at all data from illnesses, outbreaks, hospitalizations, and deaths across all food types, meat, chicken, fish, dairy, fruit, produce, and sprouts. And the conclusion of this peer-reviewed paper was that sprouts were as safe, if not safer, 
than all these other food categories, just not well known. The next paper we looked at is how could you make them even safer? So if there was something that's coming out of the field, it could have animal contamination, could be fecal matter, it could be dirt, could be anything. And one of the things is what could you do to take those seeds that came out of the field and properly clean them? So I partnered with University of California at Santa Cruz to study what could we do to disinfect the seeds and different practices to reduce yeast, mold, fungus, and bacteria while producing homegrown sprouts. And both of these papers are available for free, you know, on the internet and they're able to be used. So if we look at just kind of recapping a little bit, sprouts are affordable. They are nutrient dense. They are fast growing and they are delicious. And what most people do not know, and I'm sharing with you, is that every benefit of the whole food plant-based diet can be achieved by eating sprouts. Sprouts contain micronutrients, phytonutrients, polyphenols, bioflavonoids, antioxidants, prebiotics, all amino acids, all essential amino acids, meaning the essential amino acids are amino acids that the body cannot make on its own. They're exogenous um, amino acids. They are all within, within sprouts. So on that note, I want to open up to questions and see um, how I can help you on your sprout journey. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen and open up. Michael, are you back? I am back, Doug. All right. So I guess now it will, uh, we'll uh, officially begin our Q and A. So uh, I just want to go over a few things with, uh, for the audience sake, um, with regarding uh, questions, but, but before I get to that, um, your, your book, where would you recommend someone go to get it? I recommend going to your local bookseller and asking them for the book and most the local booksellers get new books in every two to three days. So within a week, they could get it. I love supporting local booksellers. If you've got one instant gratification, you can order it online from Amazon. The book is on Audible from a um, audio uh, perspective. And it's also an ebook available on Kindle and other e-readers. So very available and one of the reasons why I went with a major publisher is to get the distribution. The Spanish translation of the book will be out all's well by the end of this year. So very big milestone to translate the book into Spanish. Right. So with that, for, for the audience, um, I just want to go over a couple of things regarding the, uh, the Q&A. Um, we don't take questions directly from the chat. What we do is we raise our hand in Zoom. If you're not familiar with that process, what you need to do is go to the reactions button, uh, which is located the second to the right button on the bottom of the Zoom window. And then you'll select the raise hand function from the, the menu that pops up. Um, and when I call on you, just state where uh, where you're from and ask your question. And we just ask that questions are brief and on topic. 
Um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions before we we open up to the audience. Um, you know, one of the things I think um, as people get into any sort of new modality is um, it's a little overwhelming. They don't know how to do it. Sprouts, I think, you know, you kind of pointed out in America, they're not well known. So people don't know how, how to eat them. Perhaps they're familiar with the mung bean, you know, sprouts that, that are common in the supermarket. Um, how do you go about getting them into your diet? Do you, you throw them into a salad? Do you add oil, vinegar, you know, do you have a big bowl of sprouts? How, how do you, how, how the ideal way to eat them? How would you suggest that Doug? Well, in my world, the ideal way to eat them is to add them to whatever dish you're having. And if you are wanting to lose weight, you can eat them plain and understand that if you are hungry, you will eat plain sprouts. If you're not hungry and means you probably want to eat and it's a craving, it's not hunger. So that that being said, sprouts make a great substitute for baby green lettuces uh, in a salad. Sprouts make a great addition to any wrap. Sprouts can be a great addition to a soup. And as a matter of fact, you can use sprouts as the base for the soup and use the soup as a dressing over the sprouts. So you could get even more of that. Um, you can use sprouts to make dips. So garbanzo beans, like I, I have a recipe where I take sprouted garbanzo beans, two day old and an organic pickle with a little bit of the pickle brine and I blend it and I'm making a raw fermented hummus. So using the pickle and the brine and the natural sauce from the pickle juice are making the dip. And then I use that and I scoop other sprouts into it. So it's like sprouts on sprouts. Um, you can juice the sprouts. So you're getting very high concentrated, like what they do at Hippocrates. They're juicing wheatgrass, but they're also juicing other sprouts. And sprouts are extremely concentrated. From a nutritional perspective, sprouts can contain 20 to 100 times the phytonutrient, micronutrient content of their mature vegetables. And then, of course, you can blend the sprouts into a smoothie. And I love using sprouts as an alternative to protein powders in the case of a smoothie. I love using sprouts as an alternative to a multivitamin in a very precise way of looking at how you can grow um, your own vitamins and minerals. And there are dedicated dishes um, that you can make. And that's why there's 40 recipes in my book, including a recipe from a Michelin star chef um, using sprouts. So my purpose is to educate people to the potential but to go back to the beginning, sprouts are vegetables and they will almost take on whatever flavor, whatever um, seasoning you put on them. And the, the recipe that you mentioned, is that found in your book with the pickle? That's juice? actually, that's a recipe. I It's up on, on my Instagram at Doug Evans, and I'm happy to put a link on it 
And I actually did that when I came to New York and I went on Good Day New York with Rosanna Scotto. And I did it right there. So you can find it on the Fox 5. I can't believe I'm saying Fox, but I went on Fox 5 News um, to share um, my journey about sprouting. There's a lovely six-minute segment where I do a live demo of the um, sprouted chickpea hummus. And you mentioned adding them to soup. Do you want to add them at the end so they don't actually cook? Is there any sort of, like, you want to eat these raw? Is there any sort of loss of nutrients if you cook them? Whenever you cook things, the first thing that leaves is the water and the moisture content and then some of the early vitamins. So I would add them later on. And it's funny when you say soup in my world, I've been so out of it. Like all my soups are raw, like raw gazpachos and other things. So I'm adding them there. But if you're adding them to a hot soup, they actually hold their substance as long as you're not you know, cooking them on the pot. So you can add them to a hot soup and they'll, they'll maintain their structure and integrity. Right. Can you go through the exact, the exact step-by-step process that a, a seed in nature would grow into a plant that would then provide a new seed to plant, to start the cycle over again? How, how does that work? And then where do you, and then I guess it's just the, the seed, you just take the seed and you're sprouting the seed. So if you can go through that process, you know, as much detail as would be appropriate here. And then, um, and then where is the, where is the thing that we're taking to sprout coming from? Michael, that is such a great question. So if we were to start with organic broccoli seeds, if you were to take the broccoli seeds and you put them in a jar And usually I put in two tablespoons of broccoli seeds into a glass jar, like a mason jar, and you add a cup of water and you let those seeds sit for five hours or eight hours or overnight. The seeds are pretty resilient so they can have some latitude. Then you strain off that extra water and then you rinse them again because the process of soaking and rinsing is removing the phytic acid, the trypsins, the lectins, and the enzyme inhibitors. And it's triggering this seed to germinate. Then you take that jar and you invert it so that extra water and moisture drains out. And you have the seeds sitting in there that have been well moistened, moistened, but not immersed in water. So they're now able to sequester carbon from the atmosphere and air oxygen, and they will start to germinate. And then twice a day, ideally 12 hours apart, you will then take the jar and rinse them, soak them, strain out the extra water. At the end of a seven-day period, two tablespoons of broccoli seeds will grow into five to seven or more cups of broccoli sprouts. Wow. Now, those broccoli sprouts are growing from the internal endosperm and embryo inside of the seed. 
So a seed is a complete living organism. And by watering them and draining them, you're germinating, also known as sprouting the seed. But now, because there's no soil, there's no fertilizer being used, and you will then eat that sprout. If you want to then take that sprout and have it continue its growth cycle, you would transport it into soil. And when it's in soil, you would add your fertilizer and the minerals, and you would continue watering it and nurturing it. And it will grow from a sprout to a microgreen, and then will begin to become a mature a broccoli plant. And at the appropriate time, depending on many factors, you will transport it from the soil in your little nursery as a seedling and a sproutling into the soil. And then in about six months of watering it appropriately, you will have garden stage broccoli, like full broccoli florets. If you don't eat the florets, you can resist the temptation of eating the plant. The next cycle will be the broccoli will flower. And then from the flower, uh, the broccoli will fruit and have pods. And inside those pods, we'll have hundreds of seeds. And that is the cycle of sprout life. Wow. Okay. All right. So um, normally when people think about sprouts, I'm sorry, when people think about plants and farming, they think about the nutrients coming from the soil. Yes. Right? Potassium, nitrogen, and and, uh, and phosphorus. And, you know, and then all the other, you know, 60 or so, you know, uh, um, elements that we're supposed to have in the soil in order to have healthy plants. But this is taking a seed, putting it in water and sprouting it without any of that. Where do the nutrients come from in the uh, in the seed and to sprout? It's a great question. So sprouts are a miracle of nature. And the, the numbers don't add up. Like if you take the seed and you take the water, what you get in the seven days is an exponent of them. So they're growing. Within the seed itself, the endosperm and the embryo has fuel, has minerals, very concentrated, finite amount of these minerals of this energy source and store, and they will grow. But they only have like a rocket, like they only have enough fuel to take them for this one week. And after that week, if you do not eat them, they will start to decline and they will degrade and shrivel up and, and die. And so for the first week, nature's cheat code gave the sprouts the energy to be fully sovereign, fully autonomous, to be able to grow, to withstand like the birthing period. So it's very, very ethereal and very magical what happens 
in that progression from seed to plant. Excellent. All right. So we're going to turn it over to the audience for a few questions. Gail, where are you from and what's your question? Hi, I'm from Boise, Idaho. And um, my question is about large sprouting large beans like pinto, uh, black beans, um, pink beans. Can that be done? I did it once. I tried it and my husband got terrible stomach pains afterwards. So I kind of never tried it again. And I wondered if they need to be handled differently, soaked longer or something. I don't know. So the process of soaking large beans will help remove the lectins, the phytic acids, and the enzyme inhibitors. But the large beans really aren't well designed to be um, eaten raw in any sort of large quantities. So you're best off in that case, if you want to eat those large beans, is to soak them, rinse them, sprout them, and then cook them in a pressure cooker um, like you would a normal bean, and you will have a healthier version of that normal bean. I will, will grow sprouts and the legume family, I'll do green peas, I'll do lentils, I will do soy, I'll do garbanzo, I'll do um, adzuki, but I won't, never, I never go to the kidney beans and the black beans. I'll do fava beans. I like raw and sprouted, but the larger beans, the pintos, um, I do not do. And I don't recommend. Okay. Thank you. I really appreciate that information. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck with your sprouting. Thank you. I do it all the time and I love it. <laughs> Phenomenal. I love hearing that. Thank you. So how does one, so it sounds like you eat a lot of sprouts as yes. part of your diet. How, do you find that filling? Does it take time to adjust to, to eating sprouts all, you know, um, as a, a large part of your diet, given that it's it's mostly water? Well, it's mostly, there's a lot of water, but also depending on the varietal, there could be quite a bit of soluble and insoluble fiber. They could also, in like a cup of chickpeas, could be 200 plus calories and 20 plus grams of protein. So you're getting a lot in them. The Salad varieties, the radish, the clover, the broccoli, the alfalfa, those are very light calorically. But I think we, there's something a little wrong in our brains that wants us to overeat. And, and when I think about why, probably the best documented reference is in Dr. Lyle and Dr. Goldhammer's book, The Pleasure Trap, which says that the food systems and accessibility to food have advanced further and faster than our human bodies. So we are still operating in scarcity and in hunger mode. And we see food and we light up and we get turned on and we want to eat. And then we're almost trained to eat until we're full. And I think that is a contributing factor to most of these chronic illnesses, in particular, um, obesity and diabetes. So the essence of eating until you are satiated or not hungry is a better goal than eating um, overeating. And so I think that when you're eating healthy and you're clued in 
to the nutritional benefits, you will eat like, you know, think about this. Are, have you ever seen an animal in the wild that's overweight? No. So dumpster squirrel overweight. <laughs> right, right. Dumpster squirrel, exactly. Right. But animals in the wild have a mechanism in their biological makeup that even if there's an abundance of food, they won't overeat it. Like they will eat until they are satiated. And that's the problem with the 500 food scientists, food engineers operating in New Jersey, adding copious amounts of salt, oil, sugar, um, artificial flavors, um, colors. They're attempting to exploit the human nature, which is looking for things that taste good and that are calorically dense. So there's a reason why you can't just eat one potato chip, right? So one pound of potatoes is about 500 calories. One pound of potato chips is 2,500 calories. And it's also carcinogenic because of the acrylamide in the high heat. So to the greatest extent, to be very aware of your eating, that you could easily, and I've done it, eat 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 calories of fresh sprouts. You can do it. And what you'll find is if you're eating food that is absent of salt, oil, and sugar, and processing, and you're eating things that are fresh and raw, that are minimally you know, hybridized because they can go to all new levels of hybridization. So we still have to eat. But if you're eating free, um, free and clear um, produce, you will not overeat. And like that's the test for someone that's overweight and wants to get healthy. And you say, hey, eat some sprouts, eat some broccoli, eat a carrot, eat a whole bunch of carrots. Like eat so many carrots that your skin turns orange, right? So if you can fill up on unseasoned food, then you know that you're authentically hungry. Otherwise, you're eating out of a pure level of addiction, cravings, perversion. Thank you. And our next question is coming from Ariel. Please stay where you're from and ask your question. Aurelia, um, from Maryland. Um, where can you obtain sproutable uh, nigella sativa seeds or the black onion seeds? I think, the black, I think black onion seeds you can get from a true leaf market. They, they have black onion seeds. I don't have a good source um, for the first ones. Okay, so um, I know there's a whole lot of uh, I haven't eaten them in years. You used to see them in the grocery stores, but I think there's a lot of confusion because our black onion seeds, they're not the same as black cumin, right? Right. They are different, different varietal. Now, is black onion, this, so black onion is not the same as nigella sativa either though, is it? No. Okay. Okay. All righty. Thank but, 
You're welcome. And enjoy your sprouting. I love that you're getting into specifics. See, this is a passionate person. When they To be honest, it was the only sprouts that I really liked when they started getting popular in the 90s. They they taste like onions and they got the pretty black seeds and, and they're really tasty. Well, I think that for you, you're very bright and turned on. We want to shift to eating like Dr. Joel Furman, um, who was very kind and wrote the foreword to my book, his whole eat to live versus living to eat is such a profound statement that, you know, if you only like black onions, you have to ask, what else are you eating? Well, the and thing to- is, well, the thing is also, I have to say, I have to admit um, that a lot of times when you brought the sprouts in the store, they threw off the spout, sprouts and everything. And that's one re- another reason I sort of stopped eating them because I, I do have autoimmune disease in my family and I do react badly to alfalfa sprouts. Uh-huh. Well, I have to but, myself but go to broccoli sprouts. I don't know of any instances of the broccoli sprouts triggering lupus or autoimmune disease. Thank you. You're welcome. What would you recommend as the uh, as the best sprouts to one get started sprouting and two to get uh, started eating sprouts? I think the easiest thing to grow are like those staples, like the mung beans, the alfalfa sprouts, lentil sprouts are easy. You could start eating them, you know, in two days Um, from a pure food is medicine. Broccoli sprouts are extremely profound and very powerful. Right. And our next question is going to come from Janet. Janet, where are you from? And what's your question? Hi, Doug. My name is Janet. I'm from the Chicago area. When I saw you on Rich Roll, whenever that was, and I bought two books of yours, one from me, one from my son, read it, but was nervous at the time to start it. It seemed complicated. But then, then about a year later, I kept on following you and I saw, I decided I'm going to try it, bought some seeds, bought the kit, you know, with the lids on the mason jars. And it just sat for like another three years, really. And I just thought, why am I not doing this? They're supposed to be good. Well, two of my close relatives were diagnosed with cancer recently. And I just said, I got to figure this out and share this with them. So I did. I started it. So I think maybe, I don't know, people are scared. And I'm a plant, I've been plant-based for eight years studying this, but I was still, I don't know, nervous about doing it. And I grow my garden outside. So I don't know what the fear was, but now that I've been doing it, I love it. And uh, I'm only doing broccoli sprouts for them and for myself. And my question is, what other ones would you recommend for medicine, for, you know, cancer healing specifically? And once you make them and you put them in the fridge, um, how long do they last? Because I have, I actually have like two cups in my fridge. They don't smell or anything, but I think I just found them and they're, they've been in there about a month. They yeah. smell, they, yeah. they taste I, I good. Would, I would, I would put them right into the, into your garden, uh, into the compost pile. So okay. I think the sprouts need to be um, fresh and consumed, you know, within days of growing them. 
And I think that um, in our capitalistic melting pot society, the research, fortunately, around broccoli sprouts is the most, um, and it's the only one where there's peer-reviewed published papers of the chemoprotective properties because of the isothiocyanates, the glucosinolates in the cruciferous vegetables and in broccoli in particular, and broccoli sprouts have the highest concentration. So I, I can't recommend anything other than broccoli sprouts um, for um, that level of, of treatment. Um, but what I can say is, I believe that there's incredible, unique, magical properties in every one of these seeds and every one of these plants that can be used for healing in different ways, um, but it will take time till these are all revealed. So in the meantime, what my suggestion is, um, and the knowledge that I've learned is that sugar feeds the cancer cells and that processed food literally is interpreted like an alien to the microbiome. So to the greatest extent of eating things that are organic, fresh, water-based, fiber-rich to feed the prebiotics of the microbiome is probably the best path that you could go down. All right. Thank you. So now, um, are sprouts found naturally in nature? And what I mean by that is um, the way that the way that people sprout is in water, right? So which I would imagine is different than if you just planted it in dirt, right? So do you do does any animal eat sprouts besides human beings the way that we sprout sprouts? Well, if we think about the process of growing sprouts in the jar, that method is about 300 years old, two or 300 years old. In nature, the, the cycle of life is that an animal would eat a fruit or eat a vegetable or eat the pod, and the seeds would go through its digestive tract and then pooped out. And in the poop, it would begin the germination process. And then it would go into the soil and then it would germinate into a seedling. So in nature, you would see more of seedlings just shooting out. Like, I mean, I remember going to the Sequoia National Forest and seeing little, little Sequoia sprouts that came from the pine cones of these massive 400 feet tall sequoia trees start off as pine cones and little things and having little seedlings. I remember like literally, like I was on my hands and knees because I didn't want to touch it, but I wanted to like absorb the power and the energy of that beauty and seeing that that little seed could grow into a 400 foot tree that would then fruit the pine cones with infinite other seeds and replicate itself over and over again. So I think in nature, what you'd see is more baby plants, but you won't see sprouts in this particular. What you might find is um, I was at uh, my friend's uh, and he was telling me how uh, he found seeds when in his sponge in the kitchen 
that grew into sprouts and that um because they the sponge was he didn't clean his dishes uh, in his sink and he pulled up the sponge and the seed from rinsing out the sprout jar sprouted in in the sponge so these seeds want to come they want to come alive Mm -hmm. all right great and which is healthier Broccoli or broccoli sprouts, cabbage or cabbage sprouts, radishes or radish sprouts. I mean, healthy or compared to what? Both of those are. No, no, I I know the question, Michael. I'm just I'm making a point like they're both radish and radish sprouts and broccoli and broccoli sprouts are much healthier than almost any other food that you could imagine. In me, in my instance, the idea of getting concentrated nutrient dense, the the sprouts would the sprout versions of all of the aforementioned would be more healthy, in my opinion, because the the young tender um, vegetables, all the sprouts, are more bioavailable. That even the insoluble fiber of the sprout is actually very um, digestible and feeds the microbiome in a very um, healthy way. So I think the sprouts are very um, tender, very nutritious and very um, edible, more so than the mature ones, which I have nothing against the mature vegetables. That's how you know we're feeding most of um, people who wanna be healthy today. So I don't, I definitely don't wanna exclude that. What I would say is I am, recommending do not cook them above uh, 140 degrees um, Celsius, 248 or so degree Fahrenheit, because then you really are shifting over from something healthy to something that's other than healthy. When you talk about the cooking, are you talking, you're not talking about the sprouts, you're talking about the, like the vegetable as we know it. Yeah. The garden vegetables. Like you want to, you want to keep things as healthy, as raw, as close to raw as possible. Great. Uh, our next question is coming from Ruth. Where are you from? And what is your question? Um, okay. Is it from Ruth Rulin? Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yes. We can. Loud and clear, Ruth. Loud and clear. Okay. Thank you. Okay. A couple of things. Um, uh, I think it was the other day you, somebody asked about, or somebody was saying that she sprouts her garbanzo beans uh, and puts them into the refrigerator. Uh, yeah. I should not add water. Could you just go over that again? Uh, well, that's- so that's one question. And um, uh, the other thing is, um, uh, oh, I forget what I was going to ask you. Okay, let's just uh, uh, start with that again. Oh, I guess I was going to ask you about oxalates because uh, do you know anything about oxalates? I do. I know a lot about oxalates. Okay. Because if somebody's on a high oxalate diet, all of this stuff, I mean, they tell you to, to boil the broccoli and throw the water off. So uh, they tell you all this stuff is not good. And I know somebody already told me that it's a lot of, you know, um, whatever, but uh, okay. Oh, there's one moment, please. Uh, Okay. I'll let you answer that. I'm listening to all right. Oh my God, I I love I love things that are live. There so, so I think that oxalates have been um, demonized 
in this reductionist mentality when the macro information overall is that spinach is healthy, oxalates that exist within the healthy plants are healthy and are part of an overall healthy diet. There may be few people that might have a gluten insensitivity or an oxalate insensitivity or a lectin insensitivity, but by and large, for most people, they don't need gluten-free food. They don't need to watch their oxalates. What they need to watch out for is cooked food, processed food, refined food, overly seasoned salt, oils, and fat foods. And it's a distraction and a deflection to bring up oxalates as um, a major concern when it is in fact a very minor concern. So hope I answered that correctly. To answer the garbanzo beans, the garbanzo beans, when you soak the garbanzo beans overnight, five hours, eight hours or overnight, and then you rinse them, you have now, they will absorb the water like a sponge. And then they will continue to want to grow and sprout. If you overwater them and you leave them outside um, in the sprouting in a humid environment, they may get slimy and smell. So Anna Marie's technique is to soak them to trigger germination and then store them in the refrigerator and they will already just continue to grow. Now, the refrigerator is a form of preservation. So they will grow slower, but they will grow and they will germinate and they will get tails. And that cryo method of growing um, can be used. Alternatively, you can rinse them twice a day and start to eat them on the second or third day of growing them outside in the jar method. Excellent. And um, talking about uh, you know all the food, the salt, the sugar, the the fat. What do you what do your meals look like in in a day? What what do you eat at, at each meal? Great question, Michael. So I have a feeding window between say noon and six p.m. I will eat fruit as my initial um, breakfast at around noon to one, and then in the middle of the afternoon I will eat mono sprouts, either some pea sprouts or garbanzo bean sprouts or lentil sprouts. I really like them. They're chewy and they're filling. And then towards the end of the day, five o'clock or so, I will eat a big sprout salad and I may add an avocado or I may add tahini. I may add sauerkraut. We make a beautiful sauerkraut using celery juice as the natural salt, so the sodium in the celery juice, and either red or white cabbage. So I will mix some sauerkraut fermented for additional prebiotics, probiotics into my salad. And then I wrap them using nori seaweed because nori seaweed has omega-3 uh, DHA and EPA in that. So I like the algae uh, as an alternative there. All right. And how do your friends uh, enjoy that meal when they when they come over to visit? I mean, I, 
so many of my friends are now full on sproutivores. Like they're over the moon. Like the most important thing, like we think that we want to eat because we want to be, we want to eat sprouts because we want to be healthy or we want to lose weight or we want to regulate our insulin level if we're diabetic, right? Or we want to treat our cancer cells because of the anti-cancer compounds. But the reality is we want to feel good. And when you're eating sprouts, you feel great. You feel alive. You feel like unconquerable. And so that's why. So my friends come initially. um, And by the way, you got to understand, someone's my friend, they know who I am, right? So they're not expecting something else. Like they're coming into my home and they know, you know, at my wedding, we had 100 people and everything you know, met my dietary criteria with it. So it's interesting. Now, if I go elsewhere to someone else's home, you know, I'll I'll eat my sprouts on the way till I get there and I'm content with eating nothing. And I am not trying to, in this audience, like anyone's here, um, people want to hear my information. If I'm a guest in someone else's home, I'm going to not be proselytizing, judging, because I don't want to create barriers to them. I want to be an example of optimum health and have answers to people who want to get better. So I only want to preach to the choir or people who want to be in the choir. That's great. All right. Our next question is coming from Daryl. Daryl, where are you from? And what's your question? Hi, Doug. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and I am a sprouter. Um, Yay! I have two two questions. Uh, One is, what's the best way to dry your sprouts after you rinse them? And what is the best way to store sunflower seeds? So storing sunflower seeds would be either in the freezer or in the refrigerator. So the the freezer will store them longer. And I would recommend washing them well before you sprout because sunflower seeds could have a lot of soil or um, particle matter on the exterior part. And the best way to store the sprouts is is do a final rinse and then use a clean salad spinner. So they make really high quality salad spinners, whether it's OXO or the Williams-Sonoma one, but you get a good salad spinner. And I would spin off and air dry the sprouts before storing them in the refrigerator. And then when you store them in the refrigerator, you want them to be partially covered, but you still want to be able to um, have air flow, air exchange inside. You do not want to cut off the source of oxygen to the sprouts, which are still um, breathing. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And do you recommend uh, any supplements that that people should be eating on a high sprout diet? The only the only supplement that I recommend is vitamin B twelve sublingually, and potentially if you're in the um, if you're not getting enough sun to uh, take vitamin D. Right. Otherwise, I think that you're best off getting your nutrients from food. 
Thank you. And you know, you mentioned something when you're talking about what you eat every day and you said you eat mono sprouts. Does that mean you only eat one sprout at a time? You don't, you don't mix your sprouts. I don't mix my sprouts on my afternoon um, snacking session because digestion for me begins with my eyes and then I chew them well, and then they go into my stomach. So if I'm tuned in to tell my body how to digest, say the garbanzo bean sprouts, it's a different um, digestive process of digesting other sprouts. When I'm eating the overall salad, I'm just relying on the genius of my digestive process to work it all out. But you will get much smoother digestion by doing one thing at a time. Okay. I'll have to try that. All right. Our next question is coming from Leonard. Leonard, where are you from? And what is your question? Hi. I'm from Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. And uh, hello. Hey. Um, I, I do quite a bit of sprouting with the jars. I was just curious. Um, I know there's other ways to sprout things. I'm some, uh, do you have anything, uh, any ideas on uh, the different apparatuses that we, uh, that we can obtain? I know that some people might be sprouting out of a bag or there might be different kinds of jar uh, uh, bowls or whatnot, but uh, I I tend to I tend to always sprout it out of the jars. But I was curious if there was another way. Yeah, Leonard, I cover all those aforementioned sprouting techniques in the sprout book, and where I've settled and my preference is to use the jar method. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks. All right, Leonard, keep on sprouting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And our next question is coming from Judy. Where are you from? And what is your question? I think you unmuted me. This is Cheryl. Oh, sorry, I'm Cheryl. You know what? Guess what? Cheryl, you're up then. Go ahead and tell us where oh, you're from. Okay, and ask your question. Thank you, Michael. Hi, Doug. I'm from Santa Rosa, California, and I got your book and a sprouting kit after hearing you speak about a year ago. And I loved every part of the process. I started with broccoli sprouts, and I especially loved eating them. But the one thing I really don't like and can't seem to find a way to like it is the sterilizing step. And I've tried it with food grade peroxide, and I've tried it with grapefruit seed extract and I just get really frustrated like I don't I worry about whether I'm doing it right and then I worry whether I get the the cleanser thing rinsed off and so I'm wondering is it is it just as safe to buy those seeds that say they've been tested regularly because the ones I've been getting say washed before using which to me is a sign that they really do need to be sterilized right yeah I mean it's a it's a tricky question so, you know, the, the simple process, you know, that the latest research and, you know, don't drop off the Zoom meeting when I tell you this, the most proven, most effective method for um, sanitizing the seeds is one part bleach, five parts water, and you soak the seeds in it for five minutes. And then you rinse them off several times. And it's a very quick process. And that is the most proven, most effective method 
of, of washing and sanitizing the seeds. Now, that being said, um, seeds that have been tested for pathogens do not necessarily, they don't test every seed. They take a sample from a batch to test it, but there, there could be some other ones in that batch that may be contaminated. So, but overall, I think fresh sprouting has been safe and that homegrown sprouts are safe. But if you're at all concerned, you know, whether it's your age or you're immune compromised or um, any other potential condition, um, you want to be able to, um, to have that. I have to take a, a moment, Michael, why don't we pull the next person on? Excuse me one second. Hey, Michael, I'm back. I'm back. All right. You're right. commercial, but I'm back. No worries. I think people were really enjoying me navigating the website for them, but I, I, I am glad to have you back. Okay. So, so let's see here. So, um, all right. So you were talking about, um, you know, rinsing everything off. You're talking about, you know, and you said uh, one part bleach to five parts water. Um, anything we all, we all, we need to know, uh, you know, I'm I'm considering sprouting. I did not know we needed to do that um, in order to to prevent pathogens from getting into our sprouts. Anything we yeah. also need to know about safety? I think I think it's an optional stage, and I think most people don't do that. But from someone who's launching a movement, I want to make sure that people are aware if they have any concerns. Like I, you know, there's some people who carry walk around with Purell and sanitary wipes and wipe their hands a thousand times a day. And there's other people, you know, that lick dollar bills. Right. And so there's a, there's a fine line between, you know, being clean and sanitary and being, you know, bacterial laden. So, you know, I leave that to people, but I think in general, um, it's, it's not a bad idea. So it's a good idea to surface sanitize the seeds also know that um, most people don't do that. And I haven't seen issues of, of homegrown sprouting and um, issues of sanitary part. There's also, I will mention, there's a confusion between things that look like root hairs and potential mold. So people can get confused because they're unfamiliar with it, which is why I recommend you know, learning and going deep into it. And so I actually have a sprouting masterclass coming out at one O-N-E commune. I'll, I'll put into the, the chat um, later in, in July, we finished recording it where we go into, you know, very deep levels of, you know, how to sprout and what to do with the sprouts. Um, let me just type this in here. Um, so that's it. But I think that if you're if you're going to start, um, you you can do it or not do it. It's up and to you. Do you do you personally do it? I do it if I am feeding someone that is nervous or potentially older, um, in in areas. There's many times when I do not do it. Great, thank you. All right, and, and I and I don't worry about it. All right, great, thank you. So, uh, Judy, we're actually I'm going to hit the right button this time, and Judy. Where are you from and what is your question? Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm from Philadelphia suburbs, Pennsylvania. And um, 
I actually wanted to know about getting the book on Kindle because I had it from the library and I could not see any of the tables or the PDFs when I had the um, ebook. So uh, if I purchase on Kindle, will I be able to see those accessory? Yes, if you purchase on if you purchase on Kindle, um, you'll be able to download a something like a 120 page PDF um, document. Okay, that's great to know. And the other thing is um, for garbanzo beans, um, do I need to get beans that are specifically designed for sprouting or can I just use? I would always recommend seeds that were, if you live where they are available, there's some people that I'm supporting in Africa, you know, that don't have access to organic or sprouting seeds. They're lucky to have any seeds. Um, but if you can get organic sprouting seeds, which are readily available, I would get them. All right. Thank you. You're welcome, Judy. Keep on sprouting. So, Doug, how do we know if the, the seeds that we're buying are good enough? If they if they grow, like if a standard seed grows, does that mean that it, that it's good enough? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good it's a it's a really good question. I encourage fresh organic sprouting seeds, right? That's what, what I am encouraging people to, to buy. The other ones will sprout, will germinate. Um, certainly, if you're not buying organic sprouting seeds that are tested for pathogens, I would certainly ensure that you go through, you know, the sanitary process. And the way to know if they're good is if they actually sprout, right? So, um, one of the things is you want to be looking for a 90 plus percent germination rate. So you could do a little test and take 30 seeds and see um, if you're getting 27 of those are actually sprouting and three, three of them or less are not sprouting. Great. And can all sprouts be grown in jars? And trays, or do they, or do they need to be grown in soil, or you know, or darkness? And which ones, do, you know, are would not be able to be sprouted? I, I mean, Michael, how much time do you have to go through the sixty thousand uh, word book, um, etc.? But just in general, yes. um, everything that I'm talking about could be sprouted in a jar with not a tray, without soil. Perfect. Perfect. And and in ambient light, not daylight, not sunshine, and they don't require darkness. Great. Uh, our next question is going to be coming from Stacy. Uh, Stacy, you have to unmute yourself um, if you want to ask a question. Hey, Doug. It's Stacy Heine. You were on my podcast. I'm super excited to see you hey, here. Hey, Stacy. How are you? How's I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, best um, I've I have asked you already and like my favorite sprout, I, I want everybody else to know about this. So I want to ask you again here. I've asked you on Instagram already, like about onion sprouts because they're my favorite sprout ever. And I'm still waiting for the study to show us the allium content in there or the alanase or, you know, the special compound in there. I really want to know how high they are in, in that, but um, I'm still having trouble. It's so hit or miss for the germination on onion on onion sprouts. So do you have like a specific brand of onion seeds that work best for you? Or do you have any pro tips on how to get them to sprout well? I think that how long are you soaking them for? At least overnight. 
Yeah. So I would try because the seeds are smaller, I would try less. Like okay. I would try doing a daytime five or six hour soak and then I'd rinse them off. And for the onion seeds, which they can be dirty. So the onion seeds could be dirty. I would, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're doing a formal surface level sanitary rinse, but I would rinse the seeds off two or three times before you start to soak them so that you're creating the cleanest environment for them and then soak them for five to six hours and try that germination. Awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody needs to try onion sprouts. They're, they're the best flavor in the world. They're so good. Thank you, Doug. All right. Thank you, Stacy. Nice talking to you. (laughs) You too. All right. Uh, And our next question is going to be coming from Joe LaPiana. Joe. Hey, Michael, and um, uh, your beautiful guest right now. Thank you. I just joined. uh, I'm a super sprouter, super grower, um, more of a conventional farmer that um, I have greenhouses. So I'm experimenting, um, doing sprouting in greenhouses year round. I'm a really soil kind of guy, although I do like the idea of the convenience of sprouting in jars the way you recommend. And um, I just want to say my success with both broccoli, pea shoot, and sunflower is about 90 to 95% germination harvest spectacular outdoors in a greenhouse year round, even in the winter, fall, spring, summer, obviously sometimes a year, some of the times a year, it's a little better than others, but Michael's had more of my conventional stuff. Michael knows what some of my lettuce tastes like, but my sprouts are incredible. I found that the flavor growing in soil under the sun, I make my own compost, I grow it almost exclusively in my composted medium, and it seems to make a difference both in germination and in flavor. Do you have any comment? Have you ever experimented with that? Am I one of the few people that do it that way? Well, I think that what you're growing, I would define as shoots or microgreens um, that have advanced beyond the sprouting stage. There's no question that if you have access to healthy soil and healthy compost, that the sprouts or the microgreens or the vegetables will taste very good. Um, That is a luxury. And you won the ovarian lottery that you can do do that. Um, And, you know, you save a lot of time doing that growing there. Um, If you're growing... um, say sunflower seeds in the jar and in the jar method. It's a very powerful method of doing it. And you can do it. And the one advantage of doing it in the jar is that you get to eat the root system of the sunflower seed. Ah. That you get to eat the root and the shoot. Um, And the downside is that they're, they're smaller than if you grow them outside or in, in, in the soil, they're just smaller. They won't grow as big. Do they and, flower? Um, no. There's no, no, 
They're not straight, a white straight stem. That's it. No, no. Oh, they they green. You get the cotyledons, but they don't flower. I mean, flower meaning the green. The two shades the green. Yeah, you get the green. You get you get a green, but you don't get the yellow flower. How many Um, inches is that? Maybe an inch and a half to two inches, and it's curly. And the, the, you have to manually remove the the husks, so that's the the shells have to be manually removed, um, in the jar. So it's a little bit of a meditative process, but it's super fun and super nutritious to be able to eat the entire living sunflower sprout. I, I I'm excited to try that. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Good job. Good on you. Yeah. Now, now let me just go back to broccoli for a minute. So I, I'm I'm buying from a company that in the New York area manufactures broccoli sprouts. Mine are almost identical to theirs, but my flavor's better. Like, what would you define a broccoli sprout? How would how many inches? What would like the parameters for that to be? I would say a broccoli sprout is probably an inch to two inches. Okay. And curly with a leaf and with a, a root mechanism in place. And the leaves may be just getting green. Okay. Do you find that the root in the sprouting method that you're re- referring to is part of the, shall we say, nutritional component of the plant? Absolutely. I never considered that. That's the first time I heard that. Thank you. Hey, that's why I'm here. Thanks. All right. And Cheryl, Cheryl, where are you from? I think you've actually already asked the question. And and what is your next question? Hi, Doug, again. Yes, I did ask a question, the one that upset everybody, the sterilizing question. Um, But anyway, I have a different question for you. I'm still in Santa Rosa, by the way, Santa Rosa, California. I've noticed listening to a lot of prominent raw foodists that they use dehydrators a lot. And I think I heard you say something about the importance of keeping the water in the food that you're gonna eat. So do you oppose, are you opposed to using dehydrators? And if not, do you ever use them and what for? So I use dehydrators to make flax crackers, um, flax chia crackers, and I use dehydrators after I soak and germinate nuts. So if I have a almond that's a truly raw almond and I soak it and I germinate it, I will use the dehydrator to remove the extra moisture of that nut so it's crunchy and clear. So I'm not opposed to the dehydrators. I love raw vegan restaurants and the like. My preference is for things that are fresh, that are water-based, because in order to properly assimilate the nutrition, things need to have the water needs, things need to be turned into a liquid. So I like the water-based. From a level of dehydrated food, it creates raw vegan comfort food. And there's nothing wrong with being comforted, but to know that given a choice, are you better off, in my opinion, to have fresh versus dehydrated versus frozen versus freeze-dried. I'm a fresh guy. I like fresh. Thanks. That helps a lot. Thank you. 
You're welcome. And uh, Michael, we'll, we'll take two more questions. All right, perfect. I was actually going to say the same exact thing, Doug. I think we're on the same page here. So um, how do you know when a garbanzo bean sprout is ready to eat? What happens uh, if you eat it before it's fully sprouted? Is it bad for your health? I think of it before it's fully sprouted, it might be a little bit harder to digest. And I think the worst case scenario is you might have um, slight levels of flatulation. And you know that it's ready when it, it garners a tail, like the seed begins its metamorphosis, almost like a tadpole, it gets a little bit of a tail. Okay, awesome. And you mentioned, um, uh, you know, uh, I think in your writing that uh, they use soy sprouts. Yes, I like soybean sprouts. Okay, that, that was kind of the question. Some people say soy isn't good. What, what are your thoughts? And it sounds like you like it. So why, why do you think that it is good? I think soy is a complete protein. And I think that soy has been un, unfairly demonized. And I think that if you're going to eat soy, the freshest, rawest, most natural way to eat soy is to take a raw organic soybean um, and germinate it. All right. Did, did you want to take one more question? We have one more audience hand yeah, up. One more question. Absolutely. All right, Brenda, you won the lottery. So uh, Brenda, you're going to have to unmute yourself. And Thanks, go ahead. Doug. I'm, I'm sorry. I missed the, most of the presentation, but um, you were just talking about removing the husk or the shell from the water yeah. after you spin the sprouts. Is that yes. absolutely necessary? It depends on the varietal. With sunflower, um, it is absolutely necessary. Um, with alfalfa and mung bean and broccoli and the other garden varietals, um, I will eat the I will eat the whole thing. Okay, one other quick thing um, for like broccoli and radish sprouts and the more general varieties. Do you put them out in the sun after they are? mature to get chlorophyll before you refrigerate them? I might put them out in daylight near a window for about an hour or so to green them up, but I won't put them actually outside um, and for too long. Okay, thank you. You're so welcome. Well, Michael, that was phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This you, you convinced me to uh, to start sprouting, so I, I appreciate that, and I'm sure a lot of the audience are going to be uh, sprouting because of this uh, because of this presentation. So I really appreciate that. So um, so thank you so much. If we could unmute the audience, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.